Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. So, so we've been in uh, 1 Corinthians for just a little bit of time now, and we've kind of laid the groundwork for some of the things that Paul wanted to communicate. You know, the greeting of his letter was really intended to lay a foundation for where we're going. And now we're going to get into the meat of the things that Paul really wants to address. And, and what we're going to talk about today is, is the issue of division, yeah. division in church. And, I, and, you know, just speaking of division, uh, it doesn't take, you know, uh, a sociologist to look around at our world and recognize that we live in a divided world, Right? Uh, We live in a divided world, divided by politics, by race, by ideology. And the funny thing about that is, right, the irony of that is that we're more connected than we've ever been, right? Connected than we've ever been before. And uh, in some ways, I believe that we are more connected, right? Communication's easier than it has ever been. Uh, we've We've got email, which some of you, like, if you're at the age, eight, like, 17 or 18, you don't recognize the power and value of email. When you hear, like, grown-ups talking about email, you're like, whatever. But there comes a point where email becomes a very important form of communication. There's obviously texting and social media and ways in which we feel like we're connecting with each other. We're engaging with one another with greater ease and velocity than we ever have before and, and really maybe since Babel, I suppose. But uh, it's funny that the more connected people are, the the less unified they get. In fact, data shows that nearly 7 in 10 teens, 68%, agree that devices keep them from having real conversations. And a third, 32%, say devices sometimes separate them from other people completely. And so we're not just talking about the world, though. You recognize that, right? We're also talking about the church as well. The church has the same problem. One in five, that's 20% of Christian adults, say they feel lonely at least once each day, with 10% being lonely all the time. That's Christians. That's believers. That's people who profess to know Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And yet somehow, somewhere along the way, they've been, been disconnected from the body of Christ. Right? The thing that God intended for us to find connectedness in is in these relationships, among these people, in this room. And yet 10% of Christians are saying that they feel lonely all the time. Now, while we long for meaningful relationships, we also recognize how difficult relationships can be. Right? They can be difficult. And a lot of times we know, we know just how difficult they, they are and, and so what we do is we guard our hearts. And so we, we, we carry on with superficial relationships with people all around us. And so we guard our hearts and we keep people from getting close to us. And that happens right here in our church and in our assembly as well. As Christians, we've forgotten that God has left us with the intention that we do more than play nice with one another. God has more in store for us than just like pretending to get along once or twice a week. He left us here, us, as the body of Christ, to exemplify the harmony that comes with knowing him. 
That's what he's left us here for. And look, the struggle is real. People struggle to get connected all the time. People have a hard time being vulnerable with one another. They struggle to maintain relationships. They get in fights. All of us know this. But here's the deal. When we as Christians struggle to be unified, that's us. When we struggle to be unified, it negatively impacts the value of the church and it disrupts the work of God in our city. I mean, ultimately, in the, in the bigger scheme of things, our lack of unity one towards another, our inability to get along, our, the, our prone nature to be divisive with one another, that does nothing more than defraud the name of Jesus Christ in the city and disrupt our ability to reach the world for Christ. That's a big deal. People not getting along, you know, that's, that's been a thing forever, right? And it was a thing in Corinth as well. It was a thing there. And in today's message, we're going to find that God has some counsel for his church that all of us need to hear. So the question for today's sermon, I think it's up there, is what is the key to preventing broken relationships and maintaining a healthy and unified ministry? What are the keys? We need those keys. We need, we need those keys because even here in this ministry, in, in, you know, in Kaya, where everybody seems to get along and have fun together and there's so much zeal and energy for the Lord, even here in our midst, there are people that do not know how to get along with each other. And they've learned everything they know about relationships from their family and from their friends and from high school and from college, from their from their bosses, from their, the people that they work with. That's where they've learned relationship. And when they come here, they bring all that baggage. And if we're not careful with one another's hearts, we will be just as divisive as all the people that we know in the world. And so we need to ask God for help today as we learn how to have a healthy and unified ministry. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time. We thank you... Um, that despite, Lord, how um, stupid I am and that I can't even turn a mic on, that somehow when I open your book that even a simple-minded individual um, can gain truth. And there's not a person in here uh, that if they just simply look to the words on these pages could not receive, you know, revelation. <laughs> like every one of us have the ability to know you perfectly in your word. And so, God, we ask that you would help us to perfectly know you today, that we would hear your heart, that we would hear the things that you emphasize, that we would hear your instruction for us, that all of us in this room, and, there's, you know, God, I know that there's people in here that, that maybe this is even their first time in this ministry, and they're just glimpsing in. God, I pray that they would recognize that the heartbeat of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is to unify the world in forgiveness through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that they would see that this is a body of believers, one of many in the world, that are striving, striving to be unified for your namesake. Because it's worship before you for your people to sing together and to harmonize their lives under who you are. And so I pray that even our visitors here today would realize that. And so, God, I pray um, for your truth to be known and for all of us to set ourselves aside and our feelings 
and our guarded hearts so we'd set those, side, uh, those things aside, even just temporarily, that we might know who you are and allow you to affect us in the positive, in the affirmative, that our lives would be changed and that we would pursue you exactly the way, exactly the way that you intended. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. We're going to begin by reading today, and we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, okay? Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now, now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I have baptized in my own name. And I baptize also the house of Stephanus. Besides, uh, besides, I know not whether I baptize any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Okay, so this is the passage that we're going to try to cover today. And let's look more closely at what God's thoughts are on the issue of unity. And we're going to start right here in verse 10 where it says, Now I beseech you. The word beseech is important. The word beseech means to to, to come alongside someone and empathetically and intentionally implore that individual to do the thing that's right. All right? That, that, That requires Paul in this instance to lower himself before the church in Corinth and to come before them pleading, listen, let us together do what's right before God. That's what's being said here. The language here highlights just how important the topic of unity is to God. God takes our interdependent Christian uh, relationships very, very seriously And the question for us is, just as we're hearing this language and we hear this beseeching, the question for us is, do we take it as seriously as God does? And many of us in this room have experienced how painful broken relationships can be. Many of you have experienced them in your family, all right? Just think about your family and all the division that exists there. There's not a family, I mean, mean, there may be a few perfect families in here, but I would bet for the most part that, that... that most of us have experienced divided homes, divided families, whether it be through divorce or people in our family that don't want to talk to each other, uncles and, and brothers and people that are at odds with one another, that are disappointed, upset with each other. We've experienced that. We've seen it firsthand. And even more horrendously, that many of us have experienced that in the context of church as well. And that, in some ways, can be even more painful Because among the body of Christ, we all, all of us, are suggesting to one another that we live a transcendent life above such petty disagreements and divisions that we find in the world. And so when we experience those things, we find, you know, a particular 
form of grief. And, 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 you know, there's podcasts devoted to this now, right? About how pissed off people are at the church and how disappointed they are in their pastors and the people that they do ministry with and, and how they don't ever want to go back to church and they don't believe in organized religion anymore and insti- the institutionalization of Christianity and blah, 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 blah. And that's the world that we live in. And, it, and, and, and even, even though even though Satan's plan of dividing the church is doing really, really well, we as individuals have to ask ourselves, we have to be honest with ourselves, is that what God intended? Is, is, that, what God, is that what God wanted for us? And when we come in in, in experience with with those kinds of divisions, we carry that grief around. We carry that pain around. It's very real. No one can deny that. But what is of vital importance for us to understand is that despite our, our hurt, we have to, as individual believers, we have to refuse to remain in our grief or to become jaded And we all have to choose to reconstruct our faith by finding a place, a family, where we can contribute to a healthy biblical ideal. Yes. And what I mean by that is that you don't, you believer who's been hurt by the church or hurt by individuals in the church, you don't get to run away. It is your responsibility. You're a blood-bought individual. Jesus Christ gave his life for you that you might be unified to the body of Christ. And you don't get the right to justify your anger and to run away. You are a part of the solution. In your imperfection, in your inability, in your failures, you are a part of fixing the problems that we see in the church which we'll spell out today. See, we will never find a perfect church. But we can find a place to pursue God's perfection. Why? Why should we? Why should we do that? Why must I do that? Because there's no more, there's no more at stake. Okay, so listen to me. I think a lot of us, we think, that what's at stake is our own feelings, right? Like, Because there is a potential. I want to confess that right now. There is a potential for you to be hurt by the people in this room. I've been hurt by the people in this room. Others in here have been hurt before. And I think what, what we're prone to do is to think, well, the thing that's at stake is my feelings and my emotions. Isn't that just like us to think that way? But the truth is the thing that is, is at stake is the name of Jesus Christ. (laughs) The risk is not your emotions. The risk is not your hurt. What's at risk is that the name of Jesus Christ might not be glorified. Verse 10 says this, Now I beseech you, brethren, by what? By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, there is, there is more at stake in our relationships than the potential for hurt. There's more at risk than frustrations. There's more at risk than personal isolation and, anti-social, and an antisocial existence. 
What's at risk is that God might not get the glory. And Paul beseeches the church in Corinth by the name of Jesus Christ that they might be unified because it's his name that's at stake. And that leads us to our first key point. Every Christian relationship has the power to magnify or malign the name of Christ. Our relationships are not just for us. They are intended to reflect the person of Jesus Christ. John chapter 13, 35, Jesus says this to his disciples. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. That's Jesus' declaration to his disciples, the people that claim to be his followers. So this is what Jesus is saying, is that the world around us, the lost world, is going to determine the validity of the message of Jesus Christ and the validity of his personhood based on how you treat one another. That's a pretty big deal. (laughs) And so we have to take this issue of unity seriously. We can't just dismiss it. You know, unity is an easy word to use. It's an easy thing to think about. Usually when we think about unity, if we're honest with ourselves, is if everyone just thought and acted the same way I do, we'd be good. That's, that's what most of us mean when we think of the word unity. It's a very easy word to understand. It's an easy word to use. It's a very difficult thing to live. And so the first thing that we have to do is we have to listen to Paul and we have to find out what does it mean to have unity? What does it even look like lived out? Because so few of us have actually experienced it before. So what do biblical relationships look like? Listen to what he says in the passage. I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that first of all, ye all speak the same thing. That ye all speak the same thing. Alex, you all right there, bro? Yeah, bro. That must have been real serious. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad that you dealt with that. Here. You take those. I don't need those. I'm doing okay right now. If I start crying, then hand it back. Okay. There's a chance that, that might happen, but okay. So the very first thing is he says is that ye all speak the same thing. Now, a lot of people outside of the faith are going to look at that and be like, Christians, freaking weirdos, all speaking the same thing. Look, listen, we're not, we're not talking about robotic recitations. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about the way that brainwashed people think, and we're not, we're not talking about the church as a, a place where mindless stooges go. So here's the deal. This is the thing you have to understand about God, is that he has never asked us to turn our minds off. He's, he's never asked us to engage in our faith mindlessly. Now, I don't have time to get into this, But other religions actually do ask that. And that's one of the most unique things about biblical Christianity is that the Judeo-Christian faith has actually always just encouraged learning and free will decision-making. 
That's one distinction between it and all the other religions of the world. And so that's not what we're talking about. See, what Paul is saying is that we need to be agreed on God's truth so that when each of us speak, that the underpinnings of the concepts that we espouse are aligned, not because of brainwashing, but because all of us have built our lives on the truth of God's word. Like, this is so important. This idea of speaking the same thing is so important. And the only way to achieve that way of living and that way of existing together is through mutual fellowship in God's word. It's through the Bible studies that you attend. It's through opening the book with brothers and sisters and and, and looking together at what God has to say. Not your opinions, not your thoughts. There's enough Bible studies like that in the world as it is. That's not what we're doing. We're not talking about our feelings. We're not talking about how we feel about a passage or what we think God is like. We are sitting down together and we're taking all of our backgrounds and all of our thoughts and all of our experiences and all of our culture and all of our ethnicities and all of our everything. And we're coming together in a room and we're figuring out together what God has to say about this reality. And when we do that, When Jesus Christ and his word is at the center of what we do, we will all very naturally come to a place of singular agreement about who we are and what we do and our being in this world. And that was the center. The the word was at the center of of the fellowship that we find in Acts chapter 2, wasn't it? Yes. Acts 2.42 says this, and they continued steadfastly In what? In the apostles' doctrine, in what they taught, in what they taught about who God was and the kingdom of God, and they taught from his word. They came together around that and fellowshiped in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And so here we are, Kaya. Do we share agreement on the word of God? Do we? Now, the more appropriate question is this. Okay, the more specific question is this. Do you take time to study the word of God with other believers in this ministry and in this church? Or do you make excuses not to do that? You know, I might as well, while we're here, I want to invite the visitors that if you want to get to know our ministry and our church, the best place to do that is to go to a Bible study. And before you leave today, you should find someone who's a part of a Bible study and ask them, hey, I would love to participate in a Bible study. I'd love to come and see what that's about. If you want to get to know who we are and what we believe, that's the best place to do it. And for those of you believers that come here and you say that the the, the MBT is your church and that Kaya is the ministry that God has you in, shame on you for making excuses to not get together and fellowship around God's word. Don't tell me you want to be unified with the body of Christ if you're not finding opportunities to spend time together in God's word. Philippians 3.16 says, Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. 
Let us mind the same thing. Let us consider the same thing. Let us submit to the same thing. You know, in a relativistic world where everyone gets their own truth, it becomes more and more difficult to have this kind of unity in the body of Christ. There are churches all over Kansas City that are dividing because each person has their own personal doctrines, opinions, opinions about God's word, and their own philosophies about ministry. And every individual in those churches is insistent that they're right. And the failure to be agreed on an approach to God's word or ministry ruptures that congregation and it spills those, those Christians out into the streets of our city every single week. There are churches that are falling apart, that they're bleeding out people because they can't get unified around God's book because there's too many people that get away with bringing pop psychology into the church and insisting that they know better. I'm pretty sure that this book has done the, the believers that have followed it good for about 2,000 years now. And I don't think God needs your help. And when God sees those churches falling apart and sees those people fleeing in droves, it hurts him. It's not what he intended. And I want to pause here and say this is why we do discipleship the way we do discipleship. This is why our discipleship looks different than other churches' discipleship. A lot of people talking about discipleship. I don't know what the heck they mean by it. But we do discipleship with a high degree of intentionality and specificity based on and rooted in doctrines. And we teach the tenets, the foundations of, of, of the word of God. We, we take time to expose the most basic truths and the most prominent patterns for New Testament believers, and we study those things. Why? Because real unity begins with gathering around and agreeing on God's word. Yes. And real discipleship, absolutely, long-term, will protect us from being divided. Romans 15.5 says, Now that the God of patience and consolation grant to you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. Again, no one's asking you to turn off your personal identity, to put away your style, to throw away your experiences. Okay? You get to be you. But listen to me. Not to the neglect of God's word, and not to the disunity of this body. See, we all have to submit the things that are unimportant. We have to submit those things and give those things up in order to be agreed and in order to be like-minded. That ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we want to do. Now, the next thing that Paul looks at is this issue of divisions. Okay? And, I, and before we get into that, I want to say that one of the most beautiful things about our ministry and about our church is the diversity that we have here, right? It's a, it's a real mixture of people. Actually, I want to, just for a moment, I want to show of hands, if you're in this room 
and you were not born in America or your parents were not born in America, I want to see your hands. That's like maybe an eighth of the room. I like that. I like that. I love the fact that we are a diverse congregation. I love that. And it's one of the most wonderful things about our church is that, is that we, we have an eclectic mixture of ages and, and races and cultures. And God loves that diversity. And he loves when all those eclectic people and personalities come together around him in worship. Why? Because it displays how transcendent he is. It displays just how unifying the message of Jesus Christ can be. It calls, to, it calls to the world, look, what you long for, we can actually achieve that. We must remember, though, we must remember that the world, the world loves diversity, too. The problem is with the world is that they, they don't know how to do it. They don't know how to do diversity. Diversity always ends in division. Okay? A really great example of this is, is in the LGBTQ plus community. Okay? Right? Uh-oh. Uh-oh, he's going there. Okay, this, this secular movement, they keep, you know, they keep adding letters, right? And yet, the transgender community cannot get along with the feminist ideals of the lesbian community. And they are at war with one another. And they got their, they scrunched all their letters together, but that didn't quite do the job, did it? Because, because the world in its diversity and its celebration and all of its coexist bumper stickers, for all of the good that that is and they're, they're, how they talk about tolerance, they don't know how to do it. They don't know how to live it. And what they want is unachievable on their terms. But oh, on the terms of the gospel, when we lay our lives down, when we put to, put to death our thoughts and our desires and our emotions and we sacrifice self for the sake of Jesus Christ, we will find unity. But it's difficult. It's difficult. And that's why Paul calls the Corinthians to repel division. And says, and that there be no divisions among you. He's got to say it, and we got to say it too, that there be no divisions among you. Don't forget who you are. This word divisions uh, is used again in, the, in the, the Greek word for divisions here is used again in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. It says that there should be no schism in the body. The word schism is that same word, and it means to tear apart. There should be no tearing apart. In the body of Christ. 
And that's how many people are. They're torn apart. Even right now, you might feel as though you're fractured or fragmented or torn away from the body of Christ. You might feel distant. You might feel separate. You might feel isolated. That ought not be. That ought not be. Listen to what the, the, the rest of that verse says. There should be no schism in the body, but the members should have the same care one for another. And so that begs the question is, do you care to have unity? If you care to have unity, you'll seek it. And when you feel isolated, you'll press in. You won't run away. You won't hide. And you'll come together with your brothers and sisters in Christ and figure out what it means to die to self so that everyone can move forward in faith and in unity. So we know so far that to be unified looks like having the same speech. It looks like choosing not to be divided. It has to be a choice that we make. And it looks like having the same mind and same judgment. Look at the verse. But that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And what Paul advocates for us is that we be perfectly joined together. And that invokes this idea of like quilting, right? Yes. And all of these different fragments and all these different pieces have the ability to be hemmed together and become one unit. We have the ability of being, to be knit together. Colossians chapter 2, verse 2 talks about this idea of being knit together. And the same mind means to be single in our perspective. And likewise, and similar to that, the same judgment, it's different, but it's the same. If you have the same mind and if you, you think the same thoughts, it means that you're going to have the same perspectives on things around you. We want to have the same judgment. So, so what that means is that when we study the book together and we look at the words of God together and we come to agreement on what they say, then we have the ability together to look at this broken world from the same perspective. We can judge it rightly and we can do that as a team. That's the way that it should look. We should speak the same. We should be resistant to division. And we should have the same mind and same judgment about the world that we live in. Now the question is, how do we build that kind of unity? How do we achieve such a thing? In a world divided, how does the church promote unity? And in our church, we often look at Ephesians chapter 4 to help us define what it looks like to be unified. Okay? And before we get into it, here's our key point. <coughs> unity only exists through and, and because shared purpose, shared persistence, and shared principles. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. Okay? I know it's good. You want, you want a second to write that down, don't you? Hey, that font's not right. That's the wrong font. That's messed up, isn't it? That's like the cringiest thing for a designer. Oh, man. That's the font that you guys have been looking at on all my key points? Okay. Got to figure that out. Okay, so let's look at this. Let's look at this idea of, of creating a shared purpose, shared persistence, and shared principles. So the first thing we see in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, is this, is that it requires for us to acknowledge who we are. 
we have to acknowledge who we are. Verse 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. Okay, we see Paul right here calling himself the prisoner of the Lord. All right? Now, what does that mean? Well, actually, he's quite literally a prisoner. But rather than thinking of himself as a prisoner in jail, he's saying that he's a prisoner of the Lord. So he's associating himself as a person who's bound to follow Jesus Christ first and foremost. Is that how you think about yourself? I mean, here's the deal. You can't achieve unity. You can't achieve that if you don't recognize that you're a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Because you're always going to be prone to go your own way and to think your own thoughts. So first of all, we need to be prisoners of the Lord. But here's the deal. This is the thing we need to look at. We need to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. See, God wants to get something done in your life. He wants to use you. Understanding your objectives as a minister of God is critical to getting perspective on our relationships with one another. When we think about the Great Commission, when we think about what God wants to do in our lives, when we think about what, what God wants to do in us personally... That can't get done. Our vocation can't get done independent of one another. God built it that way. So your job requires you working as a good team member. So consider your vocation and engage in relationships as though you have an eternal responsibility to them. That's how you ought to engage with one another. The next thing is that it requires humility and endurance. You want to be unified, Kaya? Then it's going to require humility on your part and endurance. Verse 2. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. You have to determine things don't need to go your way. They don't need to go your way. Listen. They rarely go my way. Things don't often go the way that I want them to. That's not the point. When someone mistreats you, you've got to determine that that's not going to cause you to hide or throw someone away or avoid them when you're walking around the room or not making eye contact. When someone mistreats you, you don't get to think evil thoughts about that individual. You're called to persevere persevere and to press in. You're called to die to yourself. You're called to give up on you and let God give you the grace necessary to engage with other people. See, those experiences that we have where we get mistreated or hurt or harmed or things don't go our way, they aren't intended to wound you. They, They aren't intended to wound you Definitely not forever. It might in the moment. See, those experiences are intended to teach you how to forbear the way that God does with you. Because we're stupid idiots. And we're screwing up all the time. And there's no way that he ain't sitting up there with the angels like this. I mean, if anybody should feel hurt, it should be God. 
I don't know, you know, maybe about the whole killing him thing? I mean, if anybody should be disappointed about being mistreated, it should probably be God. And yet, and yet, he's chosen to forbear me and to love me and to not throw me away. See, this is why our perspective on eternal security is important. Because the issue of whether or not you retain your salvation regardless of your works is critical to knowing the character of God. He is patient. He is long-suffering. He is gentle towards me. And he has not thrown me away despite all the ways I mistreat him. Now, what about the way that you engage other people? What's your excuse for throwing people away? You don't have one. And if we're going to have unity in this body and in this congregation, it's going to require humility and endurance on your part. You've got to decide it. It requires a commitment to unity founded on truth. Okay, look at verse 3. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Listen, there is, this is great right here. I love this because he just goes on a tangent of all the things that we should be unified over. And I wish we could spend the whole service just looking at this. But listen, he's calling us to be single-minded on the following things. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Now those one things are the things that we're intended to be we are intended to be unified over. There are doctrines and there are teachings that we need to be unified about. There are things that we need to be agreed upon. And if we're going to be committed to unity, we need to be committed to the book. So here we learn once again that truth is the foundation that binds us together. Unity will be impossible in Kaya without the study of God's word. Now, let's look more specifically at the, at the issue, the acute issue here in the church in Corinth. Verse 11 of chapter 1 in 1 Corinthians. So flip back there. Verse 11 says, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. So here it is. Paul had caught word from the, from the house of Chloe, which means individuals that live in the, in the, the home of Chloe that there were contentions or variance or strife within the church. Now, before we look at this, uh, there's a couple things I want to hit on. And the first thing is this. What causes strife? Let's like, really talk about that. What causes division? What causes that? Where does division come from? Well, James chapter 4 tells us. Verse 1 says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members or, or in your body? It comes from your flesh. It, the contention comes when your selfish desires don't get what they want. That's where it comes from. And it leads us to the key point. All division requires an agreement with the flesh. 
All division requires you, okay, think about division in the body of Christ. Any time that there's a schism in the body of Christ, someone or some ones had to have determined that they prefer to be self-indulgent and selfish in their perspectives. They prefer that over unity. And they prefer it over specifically their brothers and sisters in Christ. Now I want to note uh, that Paul tells them that the house of Chloe came to him. Okay? And, and so Paul gives complete transparency about who ratted them out. I like that. I think that the church needs some good rats in it. See, in the church, in the body of Christ, there aren't any rats. There's no tattles. See, when the church of Jesus Christ is in danger of, of being rifted apart or to be, to, of being schismed, there is only honesty before the authorities in the church. That's a good practice. So the house of Chloe came to Paul and they said, Brother, we don't know what to do. People can't get along. I got, we have to tell you about it because what we need is we need, we need someone to interject themselves and to help us. And I think that's got to be true in our culture here too. And I think Jesus Christ very specifically laid out in Matthew what it looks like for us to get other people involved, to get authorities involved when unity can't seem, seem to can't, like, as though it can't take place. Is that if we can't, when we come together and we sit down and we talk about our problems, we can't work through them, then we find a third party source to come and to help us work through that. And sometimes it requires a pastor or an elder in the church to help. But we've, like, unity's worth it, you understand? It's, it's worth that kind of behavior, and there's nothing wrong with it. The house of Chloe was only right. And so what Paul's doing here is he's trying to normalize this kind of behavior because, because the body of Christ ought to be unified. Yes. And we love Christ more than we're afraid of getting found out. That's a, that's a big deal. Some of y'all are hiding, on to, are, are hiding things and holding on to stuff in your life because you're afraid to get found out. Shame on you. You hurt everyone when you do that. And so, so you don't love Jesus as much as you, you're afraid of people knowing just how worthless you are as an individual. Well, guess what? Welcome to the freaking club. We've got to get this right. It goes on in verse 12. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So what's the problem here? What's the problem? So since Paul left Corinth, the church had grown a little bit. And naturally, God had raised up leaders to help shepherd the flock. In fact, Apollos was considered most likely to be the pastor of the church at this time. And in the early church, people met in homes... And it was possible, you can imagine for a second, that it was hard for, for Christians who were hated to find a space like this one. 
And so a house would get packed out real quick. And so what they would say to one another is, okay, in order for us to remain unified, we need to find a way to get together and meet because we can't meet here in this home anymore. And so what they would do is Cephas would take a group and, a, and Apollos would take a group and, 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 and you know, they would, they would separate themselves into other homes that they might be able to gather and pray and to worship together daily. And you know what can happen, you know? is that we often, we often like to fly the banner of those that we associate with, yeah? You know, in a branding culture, right? In a world of marketing, right? We've gotten real familiar with wearing our identity and associating ourselves, but that, that's the same thing that's happening here in the church. And, and even beyond that, um, it appears as though uh, at the time that... In Corinth, you know, okay, so we, we talked about how pagan uh, Corinth was. And in, in the academic and religious system that existed in Corinth, the, the, there was a lot of people involved in mystery religions, in philosophical circles or academies. And what would happen, just part of the culture is that if you, were, if you part, uh, uh, participated in some sort of religious rite within that Grecian world, that you became the disciple of the person that would have performed that religious rite. And so what we see here is the world creeping into the church in Corinth. And what people are doing are saying, well, I'm of Apollos. That's who I follow. And by doing that, what they're saying is that I'm not of something else. Well, I'm of Cephas. Cephas is who baptized me, and that's who I worship in his home. That's what I do. And somehow that makes me better. And then, you know, everybody hates this guy. Okay? The real pious people would try to be like, well, I, I am not as petty as you are following men. I'm of Christ. (laughs) You guys know that kid in Sunday school growing up? Right? That kid is in every Sunday school classroom. The answer is always Jesus to every question in Sunday school. And they think by saying that, that they're some, somehow more pious than the other booger eaters. <laughs> Rachel, where, where are you? That's for you. No? You don't want to be that person? Okay. She loves it, though. Look, she really does. So it's that kind of pettiness that does, does achieve division. It creates division. And we divide around personalities too. Yeah. It's a problem that we're prone to today. We love to associate ourselves by category and by leader, don't we? Whether it be your favorite sports team, yeah, or sports personality, Jordan versus LeBron, perhaps. Drink. Where are you at, man? Yeah, like that. We're not divided, are we? We refuse to let that get in the way. <laughs> to the glory of God, right? Or whether, or whether it be the gurus you listen to on your podcast or YouTube. You know, John, I, I am of John Piper. I am of Jordan Peterson. Right? I'm of Joe Rogan. <laughs> you know if you're that skis. <laughs> okay? Drudging. The, the bottom of the lake in the podcast world. 
If you're listening to Joe Rogan, get high for two hours. <laughs> Talk with people you don't care about. Um, but we do that. We, uh, you know, it's whatever, whatever fountain that we're drinking from, we often find ourselves claiming that, you know? Or maybe you're prone to dividing over aesthetics, you know, like genres of music or clothing or entertainment. These are all things that seek to divide us. Our world is full of ways to divide ourselves into, into tribes. We form our own little tribes, don't we? And if we're not careful, careful, we'll do that here too. You know? I am of the Grandview Bible study. I am of the UMKC Bible study. I am, I am a disciple of Miles Cheadle. Okay, listen to me. That's pretty cool. <laughs> But listen, you don't get to claim that. Not here, not with these folks. Like you don't get you don't get to put your associations over Christ. See, in Corinth, Corinth had divided over the personalities in the church, and we can do that here. Verse fourteen. I thank God that I baptized none of you. So Paul's like, I'm really good, glad that, that a lot of you can't throw my name into this mess. Because I didn't baptize very many people. He baptized Crispus and Gaius. Lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name. And I love this because it seems like Paul forgot that he also baptized the whole house of <laughs> Stephanus. <laughs> he's like, and I baptized, he's like, oh yeah, and I baptized also the house of Stephanus. Besides that, I know not whether I baptize any other. I think that's it. I'm not really sure. Verse 17, for Christ sent me not to baptize, listen, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. So baptism had become a bragging right and a way of partitioning the body of Christ. We have our own partitions, our own little religious things on little ways of dividing. Key point. We must never put our associations with men over our affections for God. We must never put our associations with men over our affections for God. So for the sake of unity, we have to understand this important truth that when we convince ourselves that authors, preachers, or podcasts, or sermons, or disciple, disciplers, or or small groups, that these things give us value, purpose, or identity, then we will always be prone to exclusion and division. Paul calls the Corinthians to understand this same thing by drawing an immediate contrast. Listen to this contrast. This is it. This is the hammer. Okay, this is the conclusion. This is it. This is the matter of the whole thing. After all this talk about the divisions, after all this talk about I'm of Apollos and I'm of Cephas and I'm of Jesus, after all this talk, he snaps them back into reality and says in verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Ah, ah, so yeah, everything becomes petty in light of the power of God. 
This is a profound statement because it reminds us that we are set free by the power of God and dead to the world, dead to divisions, dead to frustrations, dead to mistreatment. For a person who is set, set free by the foolishness of preaching and is saved under the power of God, there is nothing left to divide about or to be offended by. There's nothing left. You are dead in Christ. And dead men cannot be offended. Unity becomes possible when you live in the intimate and powerful relationship of Jesus Christ. So the answer for unity in the body is acknowledging that you, an undeserving wretch, a miserable person, a clueless individual who's got way too many opinions, that you, even you, have been set free by the power of God. And now you are dead in Christ and set free from the bondage of division. And now you have the key to prefer other people over yourself. And I can say, I can honestly say that if Seth isn't successful, if Michaela's not successful, if Andy is not successful in ministry, if they have struggles, if life has been hard for them, that is only lost for me because I prefer that they would succeed even over myself. They are more important to me than my own very life. And there is nothing more dangerous. There's nothing more dangerous in this world. There's nothing more dangerous to Satan than a person who says that my brother is greater than me because you have nothing to lose to retain unity. You have nothing to lose. You're crazy. (laughs) You're a wild card. And if we jump ahead and we look at verse 31 at the end of the chapter, it says this, that according as it is written... He that glorieth, if you're going to glory in anything, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And if we do that, and if we live that way, he can use us, even us, to lock arms and to penetrate the darkest parts of this city and see a world corrupted turn to Jesus Christ. If you recognize that there's been division in your life, maybe you feel fractured from this body. Maybe there's people that you need to work through stuff with. Today's the day to do that, right? If I mean, if any sermon and any day, it would be this one. Yeah. And so I want to invite the worship team up, and I want to invite the counselors up. If there's you know, leaders, they're going to be standing up here, they want to meet with you, and they want to help you. There'll also be a few of them at the back of the room. Okay? And as we pray... As we pray, I want you to ask yourself. Hello? Hello? Hello. You need to ask yourself whether or not there's division. And if there's anything that you can do about it by dying to yourself. Can we do that? All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and we love your word. We're so thankful for Jesus Christ. His blood has washed away my sin. 
I stand clean um, before your eternal eyes. That's a privilege uh, that I never deserved. And uh, when I think about my brothers and sisters in Christ, um, I think about them being blood-bought as well. And I, I think about their garments being white before you. And when we stand together, there is no tribe or tongue or, or creed or thing. There's nothing, nothing, nothing that separates us from one another and from you because we're clean. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room that does not know you as Savior, they can't say that they're clean before you. They can't be unified to this body and they can't be unified to your word because the truth is they don't know you. They've never given their life to you and they've never received the forgiveness that you offer. And so Lord, if those people exist in this room today and their hearts are pricked by the sermon and they desire to become intimate, to become a friend of the living God, Lord, I pray that they would step forward today and grab a hold of a counselor and ask the hard questions and that they would get that dealt with. Lord, I, I pray that you would work in that, that individual's life, even right now, that they would determine that they're going to stand up and grab somebody and talk. Lord, for those of us in the room that just recognize that we've been distant, um, we've been frustrated, we've felt mistreated, um, or maybe we've mistreated someone else. And we're, being, we're beginning to see that even right now. Lord, I pray that we would be willing to get that dealt with. And that we would find ourselves in perfect unity with the bride of Christ. Help us. Help us, Lord. We need, we need you to do this work. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.li.com.